0: Trying to get comfortable here.
1: Make sure my phone is off. You know,
0: you don't have to say everything that goes through your brain. (laughs) Just want you to know what I'm thinking. I wonder what's going to be good for lunch today. I
1: think I'm going to have a ham sandwich. (laughs) I can barely hear you in mine, so I'm not worried about Uh, it. Oh, are you serious? I hear myself so loud, and I love it. This is a series. A series for financial advisors. We offer easy-to-implement marketing and practice management advice. This is is The Stephen and Kevin Show. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 101 of The Stephen and Kevin Show. Today we're going to be talking about some takeaways from our 2022 Affluent Research Report.
0: Yeah, every year we do research on the affluent to keep us grounded in what they're looking for from financial advisors. And some of our favorite topics are marketing related, uh, communication related, trying to figure out how they go about finding advisors, what they look for in terms of services and deliverables and communication styles—we got some great sound bites coming for you today.
1: Yeah, this is all pre-released. We haven't released this to the public. Um, Stephen has been working and writing a kind of short report on the topic, and we thought let's turn that into the podcast today. Um, now, just a couple things here, just to, to clarify, what do we mean by affluent, Stephen, in this report? Because I mean, that's a pretty broad, broad uh, description.
0: Yeah, and in this research, this is uh, based in the U.S. It's five hundred thousand to ten million dollars investable. Uh, generally, the sweet spot for most financial professionals
1: for sure. And when we when we're looking at this too, the other thing that I think always matters, right? And it's important to us whenever we're conducting a study is the sample size, mm-hmm. right? So we we define what is affluent. The sample size here is also um, one thousand and two respondents, which is. A good number of respondents here. Yeah,
0: so we want uh, variations in wealth. We want variations in age, geography, just yep. a good mix of what's happening across the, uh, the country here. And for uh, the Canadian listeners out there, so much of this is similar. We've done Canadian research projects in the past. Uh, the data aligns
1: pretty well. There are nuances, but it aligns pretty well. I'm glad you put out that disclaimer because then as we get some Canadian advisors, we're like, yeah, but do you have research that is Canadian you no know, it's like
0: it's so similar. We were looking at this today our our yeah. countries by rank in terms of listeners for the podcast are
1: the US yes. number
0: 1, yep. Canada number 2. Woo woo. <laughs> uh
1: and then distance third uh and who who are our third? And I think we we had, we had India um and we had Australia, which is really cool, right? And I know we've we've done some work with Motil Oswald and some other stuff like so Wondering, you know, where those Indian listeners are Well, it's interesting, you know,
0: when we work in other countries, not to get too far off tangent here today, but uh, so much of this, it's a people business.
1: Yeah. So, how you service people,
0: how you find new clients, it's so relevant across the the globe.
1: When we, when Steve and I both recently gave webinars for this um, Indian bank, and I remember during the Q&A for my session, like, the questions were the same. Like, I don't know why in my head I thought... Like they're going to be different, uh, but they were not.
0: Yeah, Matt Oxley in the early days used to travel to Australia for months at a time to do, do workshops down there. That's cool. So anyway, uh, this research, though, is based uh, in the U.S., and uh, we're going to go through some themes today, some takeaways that are relevant to people making decisions about their business right now.
1: Before we do, we have Father's Day coming up right around the corner. So we thought, hey, what better time to, to sh- than to share some dad jokes? And so I thought I, I'd pull some of my favorites and uh, kind of get your reactions to them. Steven, I was hoping, I was ideally in my mind when I was thinking about this segment, it would be really cool if like you would say, what we, have you ever seen the videos where they say really kind of dumb jokes back and forth and they try and make each other laugh?
0: Yeah, but those guys are funny though.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, well now you really setting me up here. Um, but that's what I was envisioning. Like, I was envisioning something like that, where I would say a joke and you would say a joke, but...
0: The more you build it up, the funnier these jokes have to be, so... They're not very funny.
1: <laughs> just, I'm, I'm just telling you they're not going to be that funny, but um, right. but I like them. Okay. So, a couple dad jokes for you before we get started. All right, Stephen. So, um, which bear, or which type of bear, is the most condescending? A pan. Duh. That was no reaction from you. Oh, I, I didn't get it. I was like, and duh. All right. Okay, 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 okay. All right. So um, I was going to tell you, I've been playing guitar a lot lately and my wife asked me to stop singing Wonderwall. I said, maybe. <laughs> Man, you're, you that's, are That's hilarious. a good uh, that one. That one's you. good. A couple more. Um, what did the duck say when he purchased Chapstick? I don't know. Put it on my bill. <laughs>
0: That's good. I like that one. That might be the best. <laughs>
1: the last one here is, um, how does a fish get high? Seaweed. <laughs> anyway, I I, I looked through, look through a lot of dad jokes to arrive at those four. Those are my favorite. Those are pretty good. All right.
0: All right. For those of you who tune in for actual advice, uh, we're going to return to that portion of the, the programming. No, those are good. I like I, them. I'll how much
1: do you want to bet that some of our listeners are going to use some of those jokes in the week to come. Totally.
0: Yep. Uh, hey, a couple of big points that we took out of this research project. All right. So again, we, we look at different themes from time to time. When we're, we're thinking about a research project, we tend to think in themes. And sometimes that theme is purely digital marketing. We want to uh, finger on the pulse of what affluent consumers are doing on social media or how they're searching for things on the web. Other times it is around teaming. You know, how do you want your financial professionals to work as a team? Is that important? Uh, what's been your experience, that that sort of thing. Other times it's around loyalty all sorts of things. This time was just, let's figure out where people are. There's a couple of big uh, things happening right now that that are really important to advisors and we think speaks to a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the, those two big things are, number one, that market volatility creates some pretty unique and time-sensitive opportunities. We For saw sure. that back in 08, 09. We're seeing it now when things get choppy. Uh, there are opportunities to poach clients
1: from other people. Yeah. I remember in 08 and 09, there were some advisors who, I, I remember speaking to some who were trying to get out of the business. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of it, I remember some advisors who were like, this is such an opportunity and we're bringing in loads of clients.
0: Yeah, and and what happened back then was that the quicker you could reassure clients and put your front foot forward, forward into marketing your services and getting out to talk to other people, those are the advisors that really prospered during that period. And and I think we're going to see the same right now. Like The quicker we can get our arms around clients, and then pivot to getting out and prospect through various things that we'll talk some about today. I think the better. Uh, the number two big trend is obviously the pandemic that we've all been through and how that has sped up many of the digital
1: trends. For sure. Yeah, and, and so we'll, we'll take a look at that in, in regards to some of the research, but also even some things that were, where advisors had to go virtual and now should they be going back to in-person? Like That to us was something we wanted to, to find out more. Right. Yeah,
0: and I, and I think digitally the pandemic sped up a lot of trends, and that first movers reap the rewards. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people look back at the pandemic and think, well, this was a time to where we brushed up on our skills with video conferencing, uh, remote meetings, getting into um, you know some areas that you know had been around, but we got into more quickly. And now w- what we're looking for is advisors to push the pace with digital marketing to say, you know what. Maybe I got better at video conferencing, but now it's time for recorded videos, time for podcasting, it's time for newsletters, it's time for things that, you know, are are more cutting edge than putting out basic social content right now.
1: For sure. Um, And and on the other side of that, too, you're looking at things somewhat, hopefully, normalizing a little bit. And what does that mean for advisors who, over the past couple years, have been doing everything virtually, right? So getting back to in-person events and and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. we had a lot of different things we were looking for in this particular study. Um, there's a lot of data points by the way. I mean, like we're going to go through just, um, you know, a very small sampling of it, but there's a lot that goes behind this.
0: You know, what's interesting right now is that with all that's happening right now with volatility and the pandemic and all, you know, in, in some years you can create a business plan to start the year or marketing plan to start the year and it'd be totally relevant for a year. Mm -hmm. We're not in that kind of period right now. True. Right, I mean, every quarter or so, you ought to be reinventing and, and rethinking what's working, what's not. Are people able and willing to come out to events? Are they? Yeah. Or is there still an appetite for virtual programming and that sort of thing? Yeah. Uh, so today, uh, we're going to walk you through some of the findings in this research. We put them in five buckets, uh, you know, five uh, statements, if you will, things that that we find to be relevant. and We think all of you will too. Let's start with number one: Clients right now they want to learn, especially from you. And yeah. the reasoning for this one is when there is volatility, it gives people comfort to have information. Like, Why is this happening? What does it mean for me? Am I still on track to reach my goals? What moves should I be making? And we think that the advisor plays a really important role. I mean, information's everywhere, right? We can do a quick Google search. Um, you can look through your social feeds if you are, are brave and want information that way. Right. Uh, but there's plenty of information out there. But we find that clients crave it from their financial advisor, the one they trust.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's the biggest takeaway here is like they want the information from their actual financial advisor, right? Um, now, here here's some stats here on would attend an educational event hosted by their financial advisor. Yes, in person, 36%. Yes, virtually, 15%. Yes, in person or virtually, meaning that they don't really care, but they just want to attend some sort of educational event, 28%. So we're seeing an appetite for, yes, more educational events from advisors. I, to me, looking at this data, it tells me it doesn't always have to be in person anymore. I mean, I feel like educational events, looking at the numbers here, saying like 28% are saying like they don't care.
0: You yeah, I, I think it, it came out when you when you add all those up, 80.9% said they would attend either in person or virtually in total. So, yeah. And that's with another almost 11% that said they were unsure. So you've got the vast majority of people that would still attend something like that. And, uh, you know, in our opinion, moving forward, there's still going to be a role for virtual programming, like webinars and such right. for clients, but most of it's going to be educational. Unless we get back to a period of total lockdown of some sort, most people would rather do something fun in person, but the educational piece can be done from afar.
1: Yeah, I, I, and we'll talk about events in a second, but I think it was sometimes somewhat novel to do these, like, fun events virtually. It was like, ooh, this is so clever and interesting, and now it's like, do I really want to do a wine tasting over Zoom, like... Not really.
0: Probably not with strangers. Uh, yeah. I'll find, I've got plenty of other options right exactly. now, especially as the weather is warming up.
1: Here's some other data points. Um, One on podcasting, and we just did our last you know episode 100 was 100% on podcasting, but this is some new data. 57% of the affluent said that they would listen to a podcast if it featured their advisor. So whether their advisor is a guest or their advisor is the host, if it features their advisor. Like over half of them are saying... Yeah, I'd listen to that. And we didn't, in that uh, in, in in that
0: data point, we didn't screen out those who just simply don't listen to podcasts. Right. So, I mean, I, I take that just in my own uh, approximations. To say that if you listen to podcasts and your advisor has one, you're probably going to tune into it. For sure. If not like every week, I mean, at least as a novelty to see what it's all about.
1: Agreed. And then um, another data point here on this, this topic of clients want to learn especially from you was the top reasons a client would actually read their advisor's newsletter. So and you know, we have a newsletter program. So we're like, okay, well, what do the affluent want in an advisor newsletter to actually make them open it? Because so many of those newsletters are just boilerplate. They are what's going on in the markets, a lot of, you know, jargon and a lot of graphs. It's like right? the,
0: the firm provides me this newsletter. Might as well send it out.
1: Exactly. You know, that's that's the amount of thought that goes into it. That's it.
0: And what yeah. we're saying is, yeah, it's not really what people want. Like in terms of rank order, number one was that it includes a personal message from the advisor.
1: That's number one.
0: Like in our formula for these things, uh, and this is not a pitch for newsletters, but uh, it is something we're good at. Uh, the lead off is a personal message from the advisor that's made abundantly clear that it is from the advisor, right? Right out of the first sentence. So that's number one. Number two is that it informs and educates them. It's not like they all it, it needs to be all fluff. They, mm-hmm. they want to be educated. And number three, and I think this one's missed so often that it includes updates on the team. Like yeah. the more you can uh, reinforce that, um, you know, Sally got her CFP or, or or Johnny's going back to school for this or we just did a, a recognition event for a client. We just whatever it is, they want to know what's happened within the team.
1: I read that one is like updates on the team. They want to know more you know, personal updates on the team, too. Mm-hmm. Like they want to know. I mean, these, these, are, these are team members that they're working with day in and day out, and they want to know a little bit more about them personally. And a lot of times they, they form really good relationships with those team members.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking back to an advisor newsletter. I saw where one of the team members took motorcycle riding lessons, and there was a picture of her on the motorcycle. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Right? right? Um, down further on the list were things like market updates. And again, stuff that's really plentiful.
1: I know, but, and that's, but that's stuff that, you know, I'd um, say newsletters in the past, I say in the past, but they're still really prevalent, are built upon like that's the number one thing that's in the news update on the markets right and so what's interesting to see in the affluent is they want something more personal I mean they want to feel like you really had a hand in the creation
0: yeah so if you and we don't have to reiterate this too much more but in terms of content that you're putting out on social uh, information that you're providing via webinar or in-person events they want to learn from you they want you to be a part of it they don't want this auto campaign of you feeding them stuff from your firm
1: so that was like the first big takeaway clients want to learn especially from you their advisor yeah
0: think of yourself as client educator teacher yes. yeah. like that's that's a really important piece
1: you know i, I had a client years ago southern california guy and um, one of his his differentiators that he would talk to clients about is he would say "You know, i really make an effort to educate my clients and he and he said a lot of clients tell me that i should have been a teacher in a former life right? because i like to sit down with them and walk them through everything and um he ended up using it as again one of his differentiators was this like education mentality that he had and he wanted to teach everyone. I um, mean clients still want to learn and they want to learn from you. So second uh, takeaway
0: today is that friendship impacts your client relationships obviously. Well, it's not obvious for for a <laughs> lot of people out there. And and we've researched this I and mean, if you followed Oxley research or many of the articles and videos we put out over the years it's a recurring theme that we talk about this—the type of relationship you have with clients. But I will say we've asked this in different ways. So we have asked uh, previously: Do you have a social relationship with your advisor? Do you have an emotional connection? Have an emotional connection. Do you care about your advisor? Do you think your advisor cares about you? Right. Right. And in this one, I kind of like this one. We dumbed it down this time and just said, "What's the most like client-friendly language that we could ask it in, so that they would hear this and grasp it immediately?" And it's around the friendship. Yeah, like are you friends? Are you friends with your financial advisor?
1: It's always interesting to think through as as you're building, you know, um, research projects, and you're thinking about the questions that you're posing to the affluent. How do you make sure that they're grasping what you're trying to get at? Right, because if you ask them, "Do you have an emotional connection?" They're like, "What do you mean?" They
0: have to read the article in Harvard Business Review, oh. and then they're not quite <laughs> right. Not quite going to do it's, that to take your your survey.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's like you you have to you have to come up with some language that. They get immediately, and we thought friendship seemed, seemed like it.
0: So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the correlations uh, uh, associated with that. Like, what does that actually mean uh, for your business? But first, uh, just in terms of the total numbers, 55% said they're friends with their advisor. That's a lot. 35% said they're not, mm-hmm. and 10% said unsure, roughly.
1: Yeah, so again, it's all perception right? in terms of, like, are, are we friends or are we not friends? But I would think that if they're friends, you have a, a deeper connection. Then maybe you do some things outside of, um, you know, going to their office for a review on an annual basis. You'd, you'd, like
0: for a lot of them, if you'd imagine, like what something a friend would do, would they invite you over for dinner? Would you go out and do something together? Would you play some pickleball? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it's not like you know, this is, uh, you know, a deal breaker that if you've got some clients that you just don't do any, you know, you have nothing in common. Maybe there's forty years of age gap. That you're just not going out and doing things, you know, that maybe you don't have a lot in common. And maybe that's how, how it should be said. It's right. not like they're leaving you all of a sudden, but there's a lot of implications for being friends with clients, starting with their overall rating of you. So if you look at, we, you know, you often look at uh, things on a one to 10 scale, 10 being really good, one being pretty lousy. And we asked the affluent consumer in this survey, how do you rate your financial advisor? For those who were friends with their financial advisor, uh, 88% of them rated their advisor at 8 or above. So for those who were friends with their advisor, 88% of them said 8 or above, with uh, 40 per, 41% of them saying it was an actual 10. Wow. Right, so pretty good. Uh, for those who were not friends with their advisor, 62% said 8 and above, and only 15, uh, 16% said an actual 10. Right. So there's a big difference there.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously they they like that relationship because they're friends with them.
0: And in previous uh, uh, research projects, we've looked at all sorts of correlations with this. When that was the main focus of our research, like are you social with them or not, you would look at loyalty, uh, you would look at referability, willingness to take advice. There was a whole bunch of different aspects of it.
1: Do you remember the investment performance one? And that was always an interesting one for me. In, in In a previous study, we basically found that if you had an emotional connection with your client, that your client thought that their portfolio was performing better. Mm-hmm. Like they, I mean, something that you would think is so like set in stone, but it's, again, their perception of it, they actually think that their investments are performing better if they're friends with you. So to me, that's, there's, there's so many benefits to this. Um, another stat that I wanted to pull out here is that 65% of those who are friends with their advisor would provide an email introduction. So that, that's a strong number, right? I mean, we talk about getting introductions to their friends and family and that one-to-one style marketing your friends like they're 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 really willing to do this
0: as compared to 36% of those who are not friends right so if you're not friends with your clients 36% of them would would accommodate that kind of introduction for you yeah that's pretty strong yeah but if you think about the the difference here let's let's say for a minute that i am the financial advisor and kevin is my client let's say that you know on on one side of things i Reach out to him when I have to, or I field his call if I must. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't run any kinds of events. I don't make any effort to take him to lunch. I don't recognize his birthday or anniversary. I'm pretty hands off. I manage his money, but that's pretty much it. Right? It's very much a you know an antiquated way of looking at it. But there are still some ways, some people who operate that way. Now, if I go to Kevin and I'm like, "Hey, will you do me a favor and introduce me to some of your buddies?" I, I hardly ever see the guy. Like I give him the bare minimum. How willing is he to help me out? Uh, not, not all that much. Now, let's say, to, to contrast that, let's say that I'm doing a, a bang-up job for Kevin investment-wise, communication-wise. We meet periodically. I'm also developing a friendship with him where I ask him about his family. I, I do things uh, you know for fun with him. I invite him to events. I invite him to webinars. Uh, he likes me, right? And we like each other. I go to ask him for a favor. He's like, yeah, man, anything for you. Let, you. let me see how I
1: can help you out. It's a big difference. It's a huge difference. and But I think it has to be approached in a, in a very genuine manner, right? Um, have you ever, Stephen, worked with a professional, really, in any sort of industry, where you can tell that they're trying to build like this very superficial relationship with you? Or like, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of Can it I like, tell? Yeah, oh, yes. Because I have like the least tolerance for small talk. So, <laughs> <I> <laughs> <laughs> True, he does, actually. But I mean... It's like you can tell that they're really like they're just trying, they're just asking you questions. And it's very like I, I remember meeting an, an advisor at our event, and I felt like he was really trying to become buddy buddy with me. And he would ask me just these kind of dumb questions like, So you know, tell me something you're really passionate about.
0: Yeah, that's the kind of stuff. Like, I, I shouldn't say I'm like anti small talk, I enjoy talking to people, but when I can tell it's like forced for the purpose of relationship building. Like, and not like
1: genuinely like that somebody wants to talk to you. Yeah, like you've memorized these questions that yeah. you use to build rapport. Like, yeah, I, I just, I, yeah. And, you know, or, you know, and we've worked with an advisor before, like who would call in and it's like the one time they talk to you, it's like they try to go deep with you. I don't know. I mean, friendship takes more than just one conversation a year. It takes multiple interactions. It also takes like the advisor sharing things about their life as well. So it's not just like I get to, you know, as an advisor, I just don't learn everything about my clients. I have to like let them into my life.
0: Yeah. Some authenticity there.
1: Yes. Yeah. Sure.
0: Okay. Third takeaway. Client acquisition requires being confident and direct. That's not a new thing, but I think... It's worth reiterating because I think a lot of people in sales aren't direct enough, financial advisors in particular, mm-hmm. that there's there are a lot of fears involved in in selling. Not so much when you're brand new. A lot of people most people work through that when you're brand new that you've got to get enough, you know, enough sales to make it a career and so you've got to be bold. You've got to approach people, but as time goes on, people tend to become less passive. They tend to embrace this mentality of, well, people know where I am. If they need me,
1: they'll come. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit of a cop out. Like it's like a it's it's the easy way out of this is well they know what I do and I'm not gonna I'm not pushy. That's not me. That's not my style. We're not saying that that should be your style. What we are saying is that you know right right now it's it says that um this is this is the question here. So would you be willing to work with a financial advisor that you know socially? And about sixty seven percent said yes, mm-hmm. and meaning that like. Over half, a strong number over half are saying that if I know you socially as an advisor, I'm willing to work with you. And sometimes advisors say, are so scared of being pushy because, I don't know, they think they're going to ruin a relationship or that people are going to say, um, I don't do work with friends. I don't, I don't do business with friends. But that's just not the case. I mean, there, there might be only, only 12.2% said no.
0: Yeah, and I think that's another thing that changes with the times, and that for a lot of people, it is maybe a cop-out to say that, you know, people don't want to work with those they're friends with. It's just not the reality for those we work with who are putting up the most numbers in terms of new new clients added. Yeah. Like if you look at the, the, the biggest, not just biggest producers that we've had the privilege of working with here in the U.S. and Canada, but with people who are in the highest growth modes, those who are bringing in one or two or $300 million a year, big, big numbers, right? these are not people who have a total bifurcation between business and personal, Mm -hmm. you know, they are kind of coexisting. They're friends with clients. Their friends become clients. Like there's not this separation because there's no fear of ruining anything because they're good at what they do. Right. I mean, that's like, so it's, I, I, I just say that I, I, I cannot think of a situation to where we've been with a group of top 25 at a certain firm or top 50 at a firm. And you, and you run into people there who are like, Nope, uh, all business with my clients. Uh, You know, I manage their money. That's what they pay me to do. My personal life is my personal life. They stay. And it's like they don't have that
1: attitude. I think that's a very antiquated attitude. Yeah. I mean, I remember working with advisors who were later in their career when I was new to my career at Oxley and talking to one who was like, I built my business through seminars. It's all business. Right. I was like, wow, I want you to go to lunch with a couple of your clients and start deepening the relationship. And I remember him being like, what am I going to talk about at lunch? Like getting almost like frustrated with me trying to push him to do it. But to me, it was like an old school mentality. I'm sure he's out of the business at this point um, because that was years ago. But yeah, it's like everything's mixed now.
0: If this is something you've struggled with, I, I think the, the starting point is a strong conviction in what you do. You've got to internally believe that what you're doing is really good for people. And I'm sure it is. I like, like You're yeah. listening to a podcast about getting better at your profession for a reason. You're probably pretty... Um, you know, dialed into that. You're better than the average advisor, I would say. Uh, and I would, would give yourself credit for the fact that if you take on a friend as a client, you're gonna do a better job for them than what they're probably getting locally right now. Yes. So so go into it with that level of confidence that, you know, I, I want to be tell people are willing generally to work with friends. We saw two thirds of people right now saying they're they're perfectly fine with that. Right. And that what you're offering is better than most, if not fantastic, and that when you take a swing that generally it's not going to work out that bad. I mean, worst case scenarios, they say no and you move on, right? But you're going to get
1: some yeses along the way as well. Yeah, um, hey, I, I want to mention one thing on that. Steven. I was on a roll, man. Come oh, on, man. I had uh, go, such a come good on. interlude there. So Okay, so one of our coaches, and he said this to me years ago, and this is a coach who's a retired financial advisor, built a big business, sold it, you know, now does coaching with Oxley, um, really as a passion project. I mean, the guy doesn't have to coach, right? He doesn't need the money. But he said, everything changed for me. This is back when he was an advisor. Everything changed for me when I felt sorry for someone who wasn't doing business with me. It's like when that changed, it's like I was, I didn't feel bad, you know, approaching someone about business because to your point, deep down, like I just knew that we did such a good job and I felt bad for people who weren't getting that level of service.
0: Yeah. So So I I think it pays to be assertive. Yeah. Uh, And also that, you know, it doesn't just factor into, uh, uh, you know, being confident and direct doesn't just factor into prospecting your friends or acquaintances. It also goes in, goes into how you leverage clients for introductions and referrals. One of the more interesting data points for me coming out of this one, Kevin, was that one third of those who did not give referrals last year said they would have if asked. Wow. And that's not a suggestion to go back to the ways of peppering people with, in, with referral requests that uh, if I hear this again, I mean, it kills me. I still hear it today. Every time, I know, I just need to ask. Every conversation, I need to ask for referrals. And that's I not what we're advocating yep. here. But there are, are classier ways. I mean, you can look into some uh, the archive of our videos and articles and find some really nice ways to ask for one-to-one introductions or to have people come to your events bringing guests. Mm-hmm. There's some really classy and nice ways to get this done, but you still have to ask. That means, I mean,
1: that, that data point means there's opportunity on the table that just was not tapped into at yeah. all. Clients who like you, they appreciate
0: you, they, they would help you out, but you didn't ask.
1: Yeah, for sure. If you're a financial advisor who has a robust digital presence, I'm willing to bet something. I'm willing to bet that you have a multitude of service providers.
0: Yeah, most people have freelancers and contractors that they're using to pull all these services together when you could have one entity here at Oxley. We do the web design, the social content, digital advertising and videography, newsletters and podcasts. We've got a suite of services built for you. Okay, so number four, uh... Investors are changing the way they search for financial advisors.
1: Yeah, this, this is one of my favorite research points. And it's thinking about, you know, from the affluence perspective, if today they said, you know what, I need a financial advisor, how do I go about searching for that financial advisor? What does the process look like? What is the step one of that process? This, that's what this data point is all about.
0: And by the way, 18.9% of investors are either somewhat uh, or very likely to leave their advisor this year. I mean,
1: that's another huge data point. Yeah. I, I I think
0: it, you know, if you think, if your mindset when there's volatility is that people don't make a move like this, you're wrong. Right. Uh, you know, if your mindset during volatility is like, this is shaking things up. People are more actively thinking about who they're using to manage their money. People are more actively monitoring their accounts right now than they would have
1: been. That's an opportunity. It's so true. I, I mean... You know, we yes, we both had the pleasure of working with some really big producers, and I remember one in particular. I'll call him Andy, and um, and he was always like, "I can't wait for some volatility. Like, I can't wait for it because he knows that's when he's like, he's like, I'm building all these relationships up right now, and when it hits, he's like, that's when I'm gonna go after it.
0: Yeah, I like it. Yep. So uh, if you were looking for a financial advisor, how would you go about finding one? This is one area where age makes a big difference.
1: Yes, right, and there are no right or wrongs here. So we, no broke, right we broke age down 45 and under and then over 65, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, we,
0: we have variations, uh, but I think sure. those are the two most interesting breakdowns yeah. to look at. There are variations in between those. But, you know, when you look at the younger demographic, we're, naturally, these are people, and we're in that age group, uh, who are more inclined to go to the web for at least some part of the process, mm-hmm. if not the initial part of the search, at least the secondary search. It's just, you know, we're a group of people that are fairly tied
1: to our phones. We are right. if I, if I need anything, if I'm trying to do any sort of due diligence, I pull out my phone and I run a search, and that's just what I do. It's like that is to me step one of almost any buying decision.
0: however, uh, still in the under f- uh, forty five category, a total of fifty two percent of people would either ask friends, family members, or other professionals uh, for recommendations as the starting point of the search. Like that fifty two percent that's still a very strong number. Oh, it is. Uh, versus uh, however, for those over sixty five, 73% of them, so almost three quarters of those people over 65, are looking to friends, family, or other professionals as the primary search. So for them, uh, it's like a, almost a, a no brainer that you need another professional, ask around a little bit. Yeah. Between that and, uh, okay, so uh, the over 65 group, so I said 73% would ask around, 10% already know someone socially or through the community that they would engage. So the vast majority of them are using their network in some way to find a financial advisor.
1: Exactly. So they're, st- they're asking, or at least they're, that's what they're saying the starting point is. But I would argue that they're still, you know, going and searching for you online. Like, even if, um, you know, let's say that, Stephen, you asked me, your neighbor, hey, who do you use? You have a good advisor. I'm like, yeah, you should use, you know, John Smith what's the first thing that you might do at that point, right? Yeah. Let's see yeah. what I can find. Let me see if I, let me take a look at the John Smith's website. Oh, I mean, let me take a look at his Facebook page. Let me Is he on LinkedIn? Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that they do. So that secondary research is important.
0: Here's another interesting one. Uh, it speaks directly to this point though, Kevin. So one third of those over 65 do not research their potential advisor online at all.
1: So only a third. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So two thirds do. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I just found that interesting. Yeah, for but they're sure. all, like, again, like, it, it's not a right or wrong. It's just generally, generationally, people are different. When you look at the under four, uh, 45 category, uh, 22% said that they already know someone socially that they would engage. And 22% said, uh, separately, that they would go through their online, um, you know, search online or go through social networks. Yeah. So there's just, there's difference in ways that people make decisions. And as you think about your practice, you know, to me, and this is a pet peeve of mine, when we talk about selling to Gen Xers and Millennials, if you're selling to Gen Xers, and I, I promise you, I'm not going to go on a tirade about this or talk for I too know, much. You have, you, you have some. Issues. I have strong views. You, on you this have question. strong
1: views on categorizing people by age.
0: Well, I, I think that's part of it, but I also no. think in the industry there's a lot of de- derogatory explanations for mm-hmm. how you go about the next generation of clients. And like, I promise, I'm not going to go too yeah, far. I don't like this. It's However. I think when the narrative is when the narrative is these people are going to be inheriting trillions, gazillion yeah. trillion dollars in yep. the next X number of years, it doesn't give credit to the generation of people who are still working hard to earn a living right now, yes. and not seeing themselves as someone who's about to inherit mom and dad's financial advisor and mom and dad's money. Yep. Right. Uh, and so as you're, if you're in a financial practice. Who wants to target younger investors? Target target the people who are already making money mm-hmm. first of all, and look at them as an opportunity to work with the next generation, not your clients' children. Right. Right. So, what do you if you're looking at it through that lens? Because these are two very different game plans. If you view it as this generational wealth transfer, which I agree is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you view it as a generational wealth transfer, and that I've got to work through my clients to meet their children, that's one technique. If you view it as you know what? People in their 30s and 40s are making money. They're earners. Yes, they will inherit many of them money as they get older. How do I connect with them meaningfully right now? It's going to be by embracing digital, yes. building better websites, putting forth better uh, social content, videos, podcasts, etc. Uh, it's just a different. It's a different uh, way of acting on it. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Anyway, when, when we look at uh, search preferences for those under forty-five, like if you were going to search online and you're under forty-five, there was a rank order of where you search online. Number one was Google,
1: and that's no surprise. And, and I, I mean, that's the elephant in the room. That's that's where you go, right? Second was LinkedIn, and then third was Facebook.
0: And I would argue that LinkedIn and Facebook are secondary, that you wouldn't start there for most people.
1: Yeah, exactly. Most people
0: wouldn't go to LinkedIn and say, Financial Advisor Greensboro to make that search start.
1: So when you're thinking about that, you're thinking about, I mean, obviously you want a really strong presence, but you're also thinking about how you rank in organic search, also doing some paid search too. I mean, like, why not? Well, think about If the number one way that people
0: search you out is on Google, what are they finding right now? Right. So they might search that in two ways. They may search Financial Advisor... In their area. Mm-hmm. And and for you there, the action plan is, well, maybe I need to pay to be placed there in these Google sponsored results.
1: And that's like maybe, immediate something you could do.
0: Maybe I need to work on search engine optimization so that I can rank higher in Google. Uh, and they may also search you out by name. Let's say I hear about you. I search out your name and occupation, your name and city. and What are they finding there? Paying for those keywords is super cheap. If you oh, want to yeah. be ranked for your own name, yes. you don't have a lot of competition there. Uh, and I think being, that
1: makes sense. I, I mean, absolutely can make some being up to sense.
0: date with your Google my business profile, Yeah, uh, making sure that your website and other so- social channels that populate up top are really good and making sure that there's not any other junk that factors in up there. Mm-hmm. Right. So if your divorce proceedings are up there, if I mean, this is real life stuff we've seen, your arrest record is there again, real life things that we've seen. Yeah. If you <laughs> you made the local news for something unsavory. I mean, we've seen all of this happen. You want to dominate that page one. So you, I mean, my, I guess my point in saying all that is that is all real life. Those are all things we've seen. You have to know what comes up in a Google search for your name and occupation, for your occupation in your city. Mm-hmm. Make it your business to know what populates there because you can influence it.
1: Yeah, you can. Uh, so you're talking almost about some reputation management well, if, if, you, I, if you have some issues there. But like from a business standpoint too, like the reason that we love, you know, Google Ads and, and such is, and just you know, making sure you have really good organic ranking is the intention behind someone searching that. Like, um, you know, it's like someone is going and searching that they have they're they're looking to buy, like they're looking to hire someone then and there. It's a very it's very different than someone passively scrolling through a Facebook ad, um, right? Which we're, you're building awareness and, and building a brand that way. But this is like. I'm looking for someone and I need someone now. That's why we think it's worth it.
0: So, when we title that uh, takeaway number four investors are changing the way they search for advisors. This is a gradual change. It's been sped by the pandemic, but over time, more and more credence is going to be given to those you see in your social feeds who demonstrate that they're really good at what they do.
1: Agreed. Now, what would you say to the advisor, Stephen, who is in the over 60, or targeting those in the over 65 category and says, oh, geez, I don't think I need to worry about digital because it's uh, looks like it's mostly word of mouth here
0: i would make the argument that more you know when you just look at the data of people who are over 65 and are they using social networks the answer is yes, yes. so even when you ask if you were asked directly to them and you would say to someone and this is generalizing but just based on the data here yeah how do you go about searching for a financial advisor? It may not be that they go to Google and search out financial advisors locally. However, they're still impacted by what, by what they're seeing in their social feeds. Mm-hmm. They're impacted by what they're seeing on Facebook and Instagram. They may be there for their kids, but they're also seeing your videos coming through, your social posts that are creative and, and interesting.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I would say there is, what about like being connected to your clients on digital and the impact on referrals, mm-hmm. right? So, so not just like someone who doesn't know you at all finding you through social, like we have research that shows that like if you have a better social presence, clients want to refer you more. If you host a podcast, they'll refer you more. If you, if you do those things, like so then when you're looking at this data here, right, and let's say someone in the over 65 category is going to one of your clients and saying, hey, who do you, you know, recommend? Like they're emphatic about it, right? Because they're connect. Your clients are seeing you all the time and they see you as a thought leader, and we have some research on that. Like the clients who see you as a thought leader, give you substantially more referrals.
0: So. Number five, in terms of takeaway five and uh, fifth and final, uh, client events are making a comeback. And, and I see this as uh, you know we're getting out and traveling more and doing more more in person speaking. You're hearing a lot more about client events, mm-hmm. and I think again, first movers have an advantage here. Let's put some of these on the calendar. I hear more talk about them than I am seeing actual events happening. In most parts of the country, people are willing to attend stuff like this. The weather's nice and warm. This is time to get out and do some events and not just like dabbling with it. Yeah, get into it. When you look at affluent preferences, uh, you've got uh, basically 65% who would say either virtually or in person. Um that's a pretty good number.
1: But the number one for social events hosted by their advisor was, yes, I want to attend one, but it needs to be in person.
0: Yeah. So 65%, not as high as it would have been five years ago, I don't think, because no. we're still making a comeback, I would say. It's not all the way back, but it's making a comeback, but still a significant number of people who are willing to come out and engage you. I think also what factors into this, if I were to ask you, like like we do in this research, I ask you, Johnny Affluent Investor, would you come to an event hosted by your advisor, a fun event? you're thinking still some tired, boring events that you've been exposed to, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Just because legacy, you know, when you look back over the last 10 years of events somebody might have been exposed to, these are, you know, rubber chicken dinners with a speaker, kind of a little bit dry. (laughs) And I think more recently, we've seen some really fun ones. Like if you were to think, uh, you know, most of you out there, you've either done or heard of or been part of some really fun events that I would make the argument when you do something like, I often give the example, if you invite me uh, to a luncheon where you have an economic speaker. I'm not coming to that. Right. I don't know. I just have, have a lot going on. No, I, I, can, I can, can think of a hundred other things I'd rather do. Right. Uh, even if that's going to hit golf balls at the range. Like, right. I can think of a hundred other things I'd rather go do. Uh, however, if you said, hey, Stephen, we are doing, uh, Friday afternoon, if you can get out of work, we're doing uh, a short game golf contest, and uh, I, I've got some of the best IPAs lined up from mm. local one of the local vendors. Bring a partner. It's contest. is going to be fun. I'd be like, yeah, I can, right. I can get into that. Right? So it, the, the nature of the event matters. The way in which we invite people matters. There's a whole science behind doing really good events. But our argument would be that these served advisors really, really well pre-pandemic, and now's the time to get back
1: into it. Yeah, they build loyalty. At the same time, they're an opportunity to get introductions. So they're... They have a lot of benefits, but we're saying, I mean, this data is saying, like, they want to do it, but they want it in person, ideally. I mean, our stance on this right now is, if it's fun, let's do it in person. If it's educational, I mean, sometimes in person, but I think those can skew a lot, you know, online. Um, And that's kind of how we're bifurcating those two. Don't invite me to a virtual cooking class right now. You know, again, I, I said this at the beginning of the today's podcast, but I think it was just novel. I think it was like, ooh, this is so cool, and like we can do this right now, and look at this. And, and look, every, no one could do anything at, at one point when everyone was locked down, so you had to to roll with those punches.
0: Yeah, if I had to stare at the wall or do an online cooking class, it's I'd like, choose online cooking class. I guess, I'll, I class, guess I'll do the
1: cooking yeah. class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now it's like, hey, you know, I they want to do things in person, so get on it. Like, schedule a bunch of these. Like, don't just schedule one you know, it's a schedule a series of these over the next few months, um, all the way up to the end of the year, and, you know, even have, maybe have some plan for the end of the year as well.
0: Leverage your wholesalers, not just for funding, but for ideas. You've got some really smart wholesalers, yes. I'll guarantee it, in your territory who've seen all kinds of events, good, bad. They can give you a ton of insights. They can help fund these things if they get a bit of a speaking role there. Uh, but, you know, leverage them as part. It's not a, it's not a knock on the process. If you had that same event that I spoke of where you're doing a short game golf contest, with some IPAs there, and you had uh, somebody there with one of your fund partners stand up for 10 minutes of an update. I don't care about that. Right. Big deal. You know, it's, you know, it doesn't mar the event for me if I'm an attendee.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and we've done previous podcasts on how to host events, I'm sure, and, and how to convert people at events. So go back and listen to some of those if you have questions on that topic. Like Stephen said, there's a whole science to it. Right? Yeah. It's not just like, hey, you plan an event and there you go. There, there's a lot that can go into a good event. The main
0: takeaway that I got in looking through a lot of this data recently is that it just reminded me of oh eight oh nine. It reminded me how much it mattered to be ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Like, think in advance about, and, and we really try hard to do this with our business. We try we try really hard to think ahead of like, not what do advisors want right now, but what will they benefit from in a year or five years time? Yeah, I mean, it was why really we rolled out video prior to the pandemic, why we... You know, why we're into podcasting now before most advisors are into podcasting. Right. Why we were were talking about, you know, not that we were prophetic, but, you know, talking about Facebook for financial advisors 12 years ago. Yeah. It's like you you try to think about what's coming more so than what's right now. And if you're an advisor thinking about what's coming, more volatility is what most people expect. More digital trends are what most people expect. Mm -hmm. Go full force into those areas like... Uh, the ones we're talking about today, digital content events and so get forth. Get
1: ahead of the curve because once everyone's into it, then it gets saturated and you're going to be thinking, how do I catch up, right? Like, Go ahead and get into it now because there is a learning curve with all of this stuff, right? I mean, it, it's not like, it's not you flip on a switch and it's really easy to to do your own podcast, right? And it just takes some time to, to build some momentum with any of these mediums. All right, just a quick recap on what we talked about in today's episode. Number one, clients want to learn but especially from you, their financial advisor. Number two, friendships impact your client relationships. Number three, client acquisition requires being a little bit more direct. And our research shows that if they're friends with you, two thirds are willing to work with you. Number four, investors are changing the way they search for financial advisors. We broke that down by age category today. And then number five, client events are making a big comeback.
0: Yeah, so if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Would love to have you. Thanks for following us, and we'll see you next time.